Welcome to The Craft. I'm your host, Mae Globus. This podcast is a collection of intimate conversations on artistry, mastery, and life with talented, passionately curious creatives and entrepreneurs. Most are dear friends, some are those I've admired from afar. I hope you enjoy these conversations, this exploration of the humanity that connects all of us as much as I do having them. Thank you for being here and for listening. Hilary Darabi is a fascinating human and storyteller. This multi-platform journalist, documentary filmmaker, and international correspondent has worked with National Geographic's Explorer series, Al Jazeera English, and other media outlets, focusing on science and the environment. She grew up a lover of nature, thanks to her family's outdoor walks together when she was a child. Her natural curiosity and love for oration led her into journalism, where she's covered the Iran water crisis, the Australian bushfires, Indigenous resistance in the Amazon, and more. Guillory has also always had a deep interest in the mystical and spiritual, a compass that has guided her in life. Please enjoy this episode with the charismatic, otherworldly Guillory Jarabi. Guillory, welcome to The Craft. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, no, thank you for being here from LA, my second remote guest. And this is a place that's very significant for you, right? Yes, my family, all of my family is down there. So yes, I miss them. I haven't been able to see them obviously for a while, but hopefully when things open up, I am going there first. (laughs) Yeah, I hope I I get to see you in this world, when the world emerges. Yeah. Yes, yes. We'll have a hang in Venice. Yes. Yeah. So um, I used to, I, I used to, I like starting off these things by talking about how we connected and we connected years ago through our mutual friend, Krishna. And over the years and various moves to different parts in the world, we kept connected over social media. We certainly did. And yeah, it was such a different phase of both of our lives. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting to reconnect in re-emerging, you know, coming out of 2020, so many different experiences, so much growth and maturity. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like I'm meeting you again for the first time. I feel the same way. Yeah. So I'm very excited to deep dive with you. Uh, tell me about your younger years. What was mom like? What was dad like? Mom and dad are complete opposites. So mom on one side of the pendulum is extroverted, outgoing, charming, charismatic, spicy, great taste, creative, loves music, loves hosting, loves telling jokes, loves telling inappropriate jokes and getting a like, she just loves making people laugh. She loves cooking. She's warm. And dad on the other side of the pendulum is cerebral and calm and um, sweet and, and patient and forgiving Mm. and mm, accepting and mellow and loves Sudoku and crosswords. That's dad. And just, just has such a beautiful outlook, but I sort of sit in the middle of these two very polar extremes. So, you know, you can imagine that there would have been a lot of, you know, disagreement or 
compromise or maybe friction in the household, which is true, you know, living between two polar opposites. Mm-hmm. But the only time that we could all beat match and kind of really get on the same page was when we would all go on these big nature walks as a family. Yes. So no matter what the stresses were of being an immigrant family, trying to establish our life here in Canada, not here in Canada, but in Canada, you know, English being second language, you know, two polar opposites with very different views on how life should be, how a child should be raised. It was a hectic place to be, but the nature walks um, were a moment of quiet, a moment of reflection. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a daily practice for my family. And that's when we all got on the same page. Yeah. And your mother in particular loves nature, right? Oh my gosh. It's yeah. her church. It's her temple. Um, experiencing nature with her is is like going to church. It's very spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way she just, she's very sentient, you know, she's a Pisces. She's just very, all the fields, you know, and just like every flower is a message from an ancestor and every, you know, tree has a story that she wants to translate for you. And if heaven forbid, she happened to find a piece of garbage or even worse, somebody throwing a piece of garbage on the path, like, oh my God, Mm-hmm. find a bush and hide behind it because it's going to get <laughs> it's going to get spicy yeah so she also planted the seed of activism mm-hmm. through, through those journeys mm-hmm. and I want to go back to you, you talking about these polar opposites and and watching it as you were watching these polar opposites in play how did that make you feel were you confused or were you more of an observer like how did you as a young person integrate that I almost had like a space-like perspective, you know, because the the friction and the chaos and the, the loud volumes was too much for me, I would really detach and kind of go up into outer space and just hover up in the stratosphere and look down and kind of scratch my head and think, gee, what are these earthlings doing? <laughs> Why are they getting so worked up over these things? And I would just sort of sit there almost like this out-of-body entity that would sit there and observe these ants below mm. and kind of scratch my head and think, well, the path is so clear. It's right here. I don't understand why they're busy squabbling over this and that. Um, I really learned how to detach from difficult situations, which do- didn't serve me so much in life. Um, I've had to work through being present and being in the moment when there is a moment of conflict and disagreement. But as mm. a child, It worked really well for my imagination Mm -hmm. and my sense of security to detach and step up into space, which is probably why I have such a fascination with with space and anything to do with outside of this realm. Right, right. And would you consider yourself, would you have considered yourself a curious child? Very curious, Mm -hmm. very interested, very kind of um, almost like a researcher looking at different human interactions as, as, you know, my laboratory Mm. or different kind of, um, you know, I I was always in the backseat of the car, only child. We used to do a lot of road trips. Like just, I remember just looking out the window and just observing the towns as they would go by the homes, like who lives there? Like, you know, look at the front of this yard, look at that yard, like the different trees that would go by, really was a passenger and observer of all kinds of things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I love this. You were talking about your mother and, you know, there the trees, there's a story that she, she wants to tell you or about that tree. And so this kind of takes me to your career, which you began here in, in Canada, right? And mm-hmm. you worked for some major networks, CBC, Global, CTV. 
um, spent some time with the National Film Board of Canada, and then found yourself as a correspondent and producer um, for you know Al Jazeera English, um, some time with National Geographic, Vice, um, and you focus particularly on on science and the environment, correct? Hundred percent. Yeah, which comes back to your your childhood. So were you you know your mother was a storyteller, and do you think that's where you've got this natural this affinity? to be a storyteller in your in your own work? Absolutely. I mean, I have memories of my mother. Um, you know, she was always hosting parties, which as an introverted child was a little bit was a little bit annoying. You know, I didn't like people disrupting my space. But I remember maybe I was out at a friend's house coming home and this entire like she'd she'd cram the house with as many people as she could. This entire living room and kitchen and hallway full of people all just standing and watching my mom and she would be at the back of the room doing pretty much stand-up comedy and she would have the whole room in the palm of her hand and the eruption of laughter and the waves of laughter that would just ripple through the house so I really learned how to like you know to be a speaker an orator a storyteller you know a correspondent you know having the confidence to even be on camera to sort of deliver a message using my body, my facial expressions, my eyes, my words that I write. Mm -hmm. um, that is completely, that comes from her. Mm, yeah, you're very, very expressive. It's, 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 an, a, it's a cultural thing, <laughs> definitely being my mother's daughter. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, like, my, 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 like, regular normal self is quite shy and introverted and mellow and chill. Mm -hmm. So for me to be able to summon something up, to be able to deliver a message that takes a lot of confidence, mm -hmm. I, I had a, an expander, a role model right in front of me to make that happen. Mm -hmm. I'm curious just because um, my mom was married to a Persian man for 14 years. And oh, yeah. Um, I didn't know that. No, I thought, I thought you knew that. Yeah. So my mom ended up um, being a fantastic Persian cook. And so I'm wondering, was your mom as well? And was, did she have a signature dish? She's a phenomenal cook. I mean, she has just got this way with food and herbs, particularly if someone is feeling sick or if they're feeling down or if they're just a bit off, she knows the right herbs, the right food, the right amount of lemon to squeeze in your hot water mm -hmm. to really kind of get you back on track. It's a modality of healing for her that, and, and a form of expression. Um, so, you know, she taught me just really simple, fresh ingredients, really just like, quick and easy, but amazing food. Um, her big dishes when she knows she'd have people over were just like, would, would blow everybody's minds. But she just, you know, she just does like a roast chicken beautifully and mm. a beautiful Persian rice, a fragrant rice so nicely. Mm -hmm. I think I learned to cook without so many bells and whistles and layers, but to really just do it simple and beautifully. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about your journalism career. Like when you when you started and you know what you learned about yourself in that in the process as you evolved in this career. I mean, I was one of those kids who knew what they wanted to do at a very young age. And the spark that kind of sparked it is not as uh, ambitious or professional as you would think, but Growing up in a house with an immigrant family trying to find their way, a lot of, you know, a lot of things going on, I was really starved for attention. And I remember we used to watch the six o'clock news every night with dinner, you know, we'd have our dinner in front of the news. 
And I really wanted, I think, my dad's attention in particular. And, and we were watching the CBC and Adrian Arsenault, brilliant Canadian foreign correspondent, was on camera delivering, you know, a fantastic report, as she always does. And my dad just kind of said out loud, that Adrian Arsenault, she's really talented. She's really something. And I just looked at my dad. I was like, well, that's what I was too, you know, <laughs> I, just to see how um, interested and, and attentive he was to her work. I, I wanted that attention. And so I would lock myself in the bathroom every night with my hairbrush, just doing the Guillory show nonstop, just kind of like my mother pounding on the door, like, what are you doing in there, child? <laughs> and, uh, um, that was really what sparked it for me. And I, I really wasn't good at very many things in school but writing was, was about it. It was just mm -hmm. like, she's not good at much, but this is a saving grace. Right. And it all just kind of naturally came together for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you've covered stories across, and you can correct me if, if any of this is wrong, across six continents, 20 countries. You've reported on the Iran water crisis, more recently the Australian bushfires. You've spent time with the indigenous resistance in the Amazon, in the Congo, have you ever feared for your life or been in a situation that threatened it? Or this is just the work you do? You know, it's just uh, we build up so many narratives about what other cultures are like, about what safety is like in other countries. And when you land on that soil and you connect with the people, you realize life is the same everywhere. And so, yes, there have been some more high-risk moments, moments we had to take extra precautions. But I honestly have to say uh, that's the thing that's had the biggest impact on me and the biggest um, mind shift is when I'm doing my research, the Western narrative that I have of a place like Afghanistan, that I have of a place like China, that I have of a place like Iran or the Philippines or Haiti. And when I land, you know, just the regular life that I see and the people and the families and the stories, it's it's so similar everywhere I go. Mm. So, you know, yeah, in the Amazon, we had a snake encounter that was really terrifying. And um, yes, in Iran, we were really worried about being followed or having our phones tapped. So we were being extra careful. Um, and that was stressful. But, you know, there's nothing that matches, you know, the idea I have before I go somewhere based mm. on the news that I read and the research I do um, from Western media. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I love what you were saying about when you were going to different countries, there were just these similarities that you 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 saw across different cultures. If you were going to say that there is um, there's maybe a few universal truths, but maybe one universal truth that you've learned um, about people across the world from different cultures, that kind of unifying thing, what would you say that universal truth is? Everybody just wants the best for their kids. Mm. Everybody just wants the best for their family. Everybody's trying their darndest to give their kids, their community, the best that they can. And we have different resources, different ways of achieving that. But ultimately, I just see the strife to like give your kids the best yeah. you possibly can. And I just, I see that everywhere I go, whether I'm in a refugee camp in DRC or, you know, in Hollywood Hills, like it doesn't matter. Everybody's just really trying to do the best for their kids. Mm. And in your mind, what, what makes a good investigative journalist? You know, because you're talking to these people, they have to open up and trust you. So what's, yeah, in your mind, what, what are those innate traits that one must have to be a good journalist? You have to be incredibly curious. You have to have incredible intuition and you have to 
absolutely never accept the first thing that's presented to you. So all the opinions, all the different options, all the headlines and the research, you constantly have to be questioning and, and looking further. And you get better and better at that the more and more you do this. But mm. I was gifted with incredible intuition and an ability to just understand people and just really transcend all kinds of circles. I mean, I, I can be in a homeless shelter and connect. I can be at a governor's ball. I've lived in all different kinds of like social circles and economic spectrums. And I just, I can really find a way to just look someone in the eye and get mm. very personal with them very quickly. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. And in this last year, which has, you know, been, so life-changing for so many people. What is it that it has taught you about your yourself? It, were, were there any tower moments for you? Massively, yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about um, my way of dealing with conflict or with friction was to become the astronaut or when I was a passenger of life, you know, sitting in the backseat and just having myself being driven to all these different landscapes. 2020 was the year that I took the wheel. Mm. And 2020 was the year that I finally came back down to earth from outer space and stepped right into the conflict and stepped right into the awkwardness and the friction and took space and found Mm. ways to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, I really kind of had a shift in my mind as to like, life doesn't happen to you. Destiny doesn't happen to you. You create this. And that was, that was mind blowing for me. Mm -hmm. It came through a lot of, you know, tough lessons, but I'm sitting with, you know, a firm hand on the wheel. I got my favorite tunes on. It's definitely a convertible (laughs) and it's a beautiful coastal road and I'm driving now. And that's, that's a big shift for me. Mm, What are you playing? Um, I mean, you're going to laugh, but it's always drum and bass. Really? Yes. It's always drum and bass. (laughs) That kind of music just moves through your body though. You really feel that kind of music. I think it's my regular rate. So I, mm. I have kind of like a hummingbird um, heartbeat and, and sort of rhythm to me. And drum and bass to me is as relaxing as classical music. Like that's right. my regular speed. Right. Hummingbird, you said you, you have a hummingbird pace. Is that is that your spirit animal? I mean, I've been told that I have a strong uh, similarity to a hummingbird. But I, I feel like the first time I saw an animal in the wild that I felt like oh, that represents something very strong for me, Mm. was an owl when I was coming up the stairs from Wreck Beach. And I, you know, the beautiful forest all around there in UBC. And I looked up and there was this beautiful owl just watching me. And I spent about an hour just watching it. Yeah, That was the first time I felt like, okay, I understand this concept of spirit animal. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to something you said about being really intuitive. And um, the last time we, we, uh, we caught up, you were showing me your tarot cards and you've had them for a long time and you read very often. And we started talking about our mutual interest in, in mysticism. And I'm curious about how that showed up for you in your life. How did you get into it? You know, I I have intuitives in my family on both sides. Very, very strong. My mom is Claire Essient and Claire, Claire Cognitive and my father even though he would never admit it, even though because he's a man of science and rational and logic, he is incredibly intuitive. His sister uh, is a very, very well-known coffee, you know, Turkish coffee reader and reads, you know, with playing cards and her readings are just unbelievable. Um, So in my household, 
it was never taboo or looked down upon to have tarot cards or to be into any of the stuff. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, she's just like her aunt or, oh, she's just like her grandfather. And so I really was able to foster this without any shame, without any guilt and, and practice and play. Mm. And I, I had free reign. My dad would roll his eyes. My mom would be like, oh, give me a reading. That's cool. You know, <laughs> and tell me all kinds of ghost stories because she has a lot of connection with the spirit world, which is something mm. I've chosen not to have. Right. That's not something I want to do with my intuitive gifts. But for her, she has a very strong connection with the spirit world. So I would hear all kinds of ghost stories and coincidence stories from her. So it was fertile ground, like completely fertile ground for me to grow this talent and to grow this gift, which I ultimately think everybody has inside of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's whether you tap into it or not. Totally. Yeah. How do you continue to nurture it? I mean, it, it was tarot for a good chunk of my life. I mean, I picked up my first deck of cards from Park Royal <laughs> at the book, the bookstore. And those cards got me through so many tough times. You know, I first realized I had a gift when I wanted to go to Shambhala, you know, the music yes. festival in Nelson. And I didn't have enough money and all of my friends were going. And my friends said, well, why don't you just bring your tarot cards and we'll make you a sign. And we'll see if anybody wants a reading. I was, you know, I was like 18, 19 years old. So they made me this really amazing sign and they put it up front. And within like an hour, I had made the amount of the ticket and more. Like people were crying. People were like so moved. It was such a weird experience for me to have this crowd of people around me. And that's when I realized, wow, I can do something with this. I mean, moments was I when I was in school and needed to make some more money I was definitely doing readings um when I was you know moved to the UK and hadn't found journalism work yet I was doing readings Mm -hmm. it's kind of been there for me all the time this past year I've kind of been shifting away from the cards and just working on channeling Mm. and opening myself up as a channel Mm -hmm. and receiving messages and not using the cards so much um some of my mentors and elders that I look up to have always said to me the second they've met me you don't need the cards they're just a crutch ah yes so this is the year that I put the crutch aside I see yeah yeah and the and the channeling um how how do you how do you channel the messages where do you hear them are they in your heart or do you actually hear words how do they come to you it's a deep deep knowing Um, it's just a really strong sense or it's a visceral feeling. Like I'll suddenly get a cold shiver down my back or just this wave of emotion come through me or a sudden wave of energy, Mm -hmm. but it's a deep, deep knowing and a strong sudden flash. You know, if you know anything about the Enneagram, Mm -hmm. I'm a three, the achiever. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the archer and it's like pulling back the bow and, and just, choosing your aim it's a very clear sharp message my intuition is like there's no second guessing and when I know I know and Mm. and I move forward yeah and you feel like you've lived on this earth many times before I think so I don't know if I'm going to come back after this one (laughs) this is your master life (laughs) this is the final it could be it could be I know I've lived in this life many times as a man so this is you know, living here as a woman and a very petite physique, a very feminine physique. Um, that's, you know, something I'm learning through this time around, Mm -hmm. but, um, I feel I've traveled a lot. I feel I've, I've walked this earth quite a bit. Um, I think every time is an absolute honor. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
And the last time we talked, we spoke about the concept of, of freedom, which is really important to you. Why is it so essential for your soul? I, it's hard to describe, but I do feel inside of me an untamable animal, like this wild animal. It's, it's always been in there. Um, it's probably why I have such a strong connection with animals, particularly when I see them caged or being forced to perform or um, being forced out of their habitat. I, get, I take it really personally. It really affects me in a way that I can't describe. I feel there is this, this wild animal, a wolf, a horse, some kind of energy inside of me. And there are a lot of situations, a lot of like um, life moments that don't work for me. Like school is really tough for me. Like imagine mm -hmm. putting a wild beast, a gorilla, whatever you want in a classroom for eight hours a day and asked to focus on this board and on this person. That was really tough for me. Mm -hmm. Um you know, certain friendship dynamics, certain family dynamics, a lot of work dynamics just make me feel suffocated. And so freedom has been like a North Star for me. I've built my life and my entire existence around this North Star of freedom. Mm -hmm. But you're very rooted in LA now, right? It feels like a your home and your, your grounding. I feel like I really blossomed here. I feel like mm -hmm. a flower that was waiting for a long time to just erupt. And sometimes every spring, like one petal would come out or a little bit of, you know, of a flowering would happen. But when I, when I got out here, just, it was a beautiful desert bloom. Um, and that has served me in so many beautiful ways. It's challenged me as well. Um, my time here feels really significant. Mm. It feels like home. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've lived there before or just something about the, just something about the city and where you are? It just feels good. It's interesting that you ask. I've, I, lately I've been kind of deep diving on the concept of astrocartography or astrogeography, mm. that there are some people who can not only read your astrology and your chart, but they can also apply that to the world and to the globe and to the beautiful world map and tell you based on, you know, your birth time and birthplace and birth date, what parts of the world really chime for you, what parts of the world really work for you in different parts of your life. I mean, if somebody looked at my astrocartography, I am certain that they would say the United Kingdom is a very challenging ley line for yeah, you. Yeah. But if you go there and if you spend time there, you're going to learn so much about yourself and you're going to learn to work mm. really hard and how to get really clear. And if they looked at Los Angeles, they would just say, oh boy, <laughs> this, this, this is like where your heart is just set on fire. Yeah. You know, this is where your love line is. This is where your soul's destiny line is. This is where your creative line is. Mm -hmm. um, other parts of the world have spoken to me in different ways. But yeah, I think I think Los Angeles is, it falls on my love line. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting that you bring it up. Someone um, very close to me, he did um, a Vedic astrology reading and then did mm. a localities one, which is sounds very similar. So yeah, she read the energy lines of all of these places in the world and a Asia was, was really strong for him, which knowing him makes so much sense. You know, places had the Pluto line, so challenging. Um, but it was very fascinating to see where you will blossom and where you will um, that feel like home and then where are the places that will really transform you. 
So that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I would I would love to have that kind of analysis. I think I think it's fascinating. You know, yeah. there's my curious mind, like wow. And not that you shouldn't go to the challenging places, because I lived in a challenging ley line for eight years of my life, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't take it back for anything. But man, did that place shape me. Yeah, I'm talking about the UK. The UK. What was yeah. so what um, what transformed you? What was so challenging about being there in the eight years? I was a complete fish out of water. I just couldn't beat match. I was culturally, personality-wise, like a bull in a china shop. And I just could not find the friendship circles, the community circles. I couldn't land. I just couldn't find my place. Um, And it really just pushed me to come out of um, kind of a Vancouver flakiness that I had and a kind of wishy-washiness that I had you know, learned, you know, from my upbringing in the Pacific Northwest to really get clear on what I wanted and to work hard. You know, I really worked the hardest I ever have in my life there. I learned discipline. I learned tenacity. I learned, you know, boundaries. I learned all kinds of challenging things that forced me to really, really get clear on what it is that I'm here to do. Right, right. And what was that? What was that one clarity that this is what I'm supposed to do? It it was just really like you're meant to be a boss and Mm. you're meant to work for yourself. And if you want that, you're going to have to work really hard, which which means you're going to have to make some sacrifices. And if there is no social circle, there is no community that's here to kind of swoop you up and distract you with dinner parties and weddings and, you know, picnics and closeness, then, hey, why don't you just, you know, work your butt off Mm -hmm. and put yourself into into your purpose yeah. And a life free of distractions really helped me achieve incredible things. Mm. And you are now your own boss, aren't you? You've got um, something that you're launching. Are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's very it's very much still my baby, and I'm you know it's it's really just sitting in the bassinet, and I'm really kind of like nurturing it and coddling it and and giving it all the love it needs and I'm not ready to just fully like take it out you know in the stroller yet yeah and show show all the neighbors um but yeah I'm working on really stepping into my own bossness as a storyteller uh as a as a correspondent as a journalist as a director Mm. um that's yeah that's what I can say it's really really exciting that is really exciting uh, I can't wait to hear more. So maybe we'll have to loop back once it's all yeah. in motion and talk about your upcoming projects. I um, love that. I would love that. I'd love to have you back. Um, what What would you tell young Guillory as the woman you are now? What would you tell her about life? If you were going to give her, if you were going to tell her three things, what would you say to her? that I love you mm. and I'm sorry for everything that you're going through and, and that you've gone through and that it's, it's made you such strong and powerful force of nature. And one day you'll look back and understand, but in this moment meeting young Guillory, like I really, really love you. And I think you're, I think the world of you, and I think you mm. need to hear that more often mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I would tell you the boundaries are key. Like friends are great and showing up for people is great, but boundaries are, are key. And as much as you don't want to hear this, and it's going to be really confusing for you to hear this, family is everything. 
And I know you want to run away as far as possible from them because they make no sense and they really hurt. But family is absolutely everything. And the, you know, the younger and the, that you can tune into this and that this light can go off into your head, the more time you have to enjoy them because their time here on this planet is not forever. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's beautiful. And um, what is something that you would like to share with the next generation in all the work that you do and all the interesting stories that you, you uncover, you must see so, so much. And what would you like to say to, I mean, all of us about what you see that's happening in the world and what we should be aware of um, as humans? Really, it kind of goes back to my mom's simple lessons, like just like get outside the, the, you know, all the spirituality and gurus and temples and, you know, moments of like knowing thyself that you're seeking out, like just step outside. It's all there. And if you start worshiping, you know, the tree outside your house, as much as you worship, you know, the influencers on Instagram or, you know, the musicians that you love, I mean, of course, they're, they're brilliant. All of it's brilliant. It's expression. But if you really acknowledge how complex and simple and beautiful it is for this world to keep working, for you to take every breath, for that mm. oxygen to be produced, for that water to trickle down, like if you really study that and understand it, you're going to be floored and nothing else will ever compare. Um, no handbag, no latest album, like no um, trip around the world will ever compare to just like how beautiful it is, like the orchestra, the symphony that is just life, like just being alive and all the things around us that are milling around trying to make this happen for you. Right. And and like you said earlier, just being present and in the moment of all of that happening all around totally. you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not to say that like, I feel like the next generation is obsessed with influencers and handbags and traveling. I, I really see an awakening happening uh, at such a young age mm. um, in the next generation that gives me so much hope. It's probably the reason I say to you, I don't know if I'm going to be back next mm. time around. You know, I don't know if I kind of feel like it's, I'm, I'm, it's good. I'm really, I look at the kids, I look at what's happening. I look at all the climate marches and the, you know, the action and the way they're using the gifts of technology to use their voices. And I kind of feel like this is the first time my soul can rest and just be like, they got this. Mm. It must be such a nice feeling for you. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe I can have a bit of fun. Yeah. Maybe you'll come I, back I, as an animal and, and then you'll just be frolicking in nature. I mean, I hope we leave, we leave a planet that I can frolic in. Mm. I mean, that's the thing is like, I am an animal. So are you like, we yes, are, right? we are animals, right? Yeah. Um, that's the thing that I think a lot of us forget. Like I did come back in this life as an animal. Um, and I just, I hope that we leave it, we leave a planet that we can keep frolicking it. Mm. You know, I was going to ask, um, you know, I know, I know that you're a busy person. You had a long day, so I won't take too much of your time, um, any more than this. But, um, my question was, are you hopeful for humanity? And it sounds like you are. So. Yeah. You know, and may I've got all the time in the world for you. Come on. Um, this is, this is just such a gift. This is this experience. Um, 2020 was really, really interesting. Mm. You know, the, the way that it woke people up, 
the challenge, the loss, the sadness, but the hope, the shift in you know, perspectives. I, I, this is probably one of the most hopeful years that I've, I've ever experienced. All the loss, um, all the humanity, all the humility. I, I, I really feel more hopeful now than I ever have. And that's come out of a lot of, a lot of devastation. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's all the wounds. Uh, Isn't it a roomy quote? The wound is where the light gets in. And there's so many, so many of us who have been broken by so many things, you know, our, our own lives, our own stories, the things going on around us. Um, But I had, you know, last week, um, felt really tough for me with all the things that are going on um, with um, the Asian hate crimes and, um, you know, women not feeling safe. I I don't know if you heard, but um, there's someone in Vancouver right now who's been stalking and following women in broad daylight. So there's a sense of not being able to feel safe if you're walking around the city. But the most amazing thing that came out of a stressful week last week was how many people that I didn't expect to hear from out of the blue, and I will say this, maybe it's just my case, mostly men who reached out and said, I am not a woman and I am, you know, I may not be Asian, you know, depending on who the person was, um, but I want you to know that I am here to listen and I'm here for you. I'm trying to understand. And if you need me, I'm here. And People just not even just messaging, actually calling and just saying, I just want to make sure that you're doing okay. And I just, my heart just swelled up so much at the end of last week to have that kind of connection with, you know, just just people who are just reaching out. And I don't think they would have done that before in the world. We want to call it the world before um, this last year. And so it was just really beautiful and heartwarming and still brings I'm all right I'm still I'm kind of tearing up right now thinking about it yeah yeah um so there is light you know there's darkness but there's a lot of light and I think I'm I'm really glad that you got that wave of support that that's incredible you know and and you that's Mm. the way it should be Mm -hmm. and particularly from the guys you know like yes that that's really like hopeful and optimistic and and I'm really sorry for you know, the sadness you're feeling, the, the hurt, you know, the, the mm. just not feeling safe in your own city, you know, like, I'm really sorry for that. That's, yeah, that's, that's just a, a product of a lot of, a lot of hurt, you know, and that's Great. a lot of, a lot of healing that needs to happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, we are reaching out to each other in ways that we haven't, I, I even myself, you know, mm. um, reaching out to people, like looking at neighbors, looking at my community in a way that I, I, I haven't before. So I think you're right. Something really shifted Yeah. and I want to be around for a while to see this, you know, this is, I'm really excited about this. Me too. Me too. And people are really dedicated. I find now more so to understanding themselves and their, and their hurts and where they're, you know, feelings and emotions are not aligned with their body anymore just because they've had to disassociate. And I'm just seeing this a lot in my sound therapy and sound healing practice where people are just are They've been so hurt by so many things and from inheriting things through and stresses through epigenetics. And they just, they want to just feel in alignment with their emotions and body once again. And again, I think that's 
beautiful and will, and as they heal, that ripple effect will go out energetically. And, and how can we, as, as part of the sisterhood, how can we show up for each other better? Like, what are you noticing in your female relationships in your friendships, like, you know, with other women, you know, women are feeling particularly um, stressed by, you know, the news and what's happening. Asian women are feeling really, really under a lot of pressure and um, feeling at great amounts of intensity and just sadness. Like, how can we show up for you in a better way? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the trend that I have been noticing is that um, a lot of of the I guess, clients that are coming in or women that I'm speaking to really want to feel their feminine energy again. Mm. Yeah. They feel like they've been operating in survival striving mode for so long. You know, if, if you are surrounded by like incredible women who are doing incredible things, entrepreneurial, um, just, you know, really smart. Um, they just, they want to get out of the mode of like always having to, prove themselves and ju they just want to be, they want to feel light. They want to feel creative. They want to feel radiant. They want to feel empowered. That's something that I'm seeing. And so I think that I've been, um, yeah, trying to support my friends and other females that I'm talking to who want that in that. And some of it is simply, you know, um, we learned how to do ecstatic dancing uh, when I was taking my sound therapy certification. And that in, for me made me feel very feminine. And so I've just been passing that along. You know, I've just been dancing every morning and it's, I can feel Aww. that, um, that power. And so, yeah. So women are like, okay, I'm going to give that a try. That's so, incredible. I do. I do that too. Do you? I, I do. Oh yeah. I wake up, it's drum and bass. Okay. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going too far off script, but I just like, I start every morning with like music and movement and it's really important. It, mm -hmm. it feels ancestral. It feels yes. primitive. It feels like I'm tapping into something that like a rhythm of the earth that just like has yes. been here and is not going anywhere. And yeah. it's always available to me. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. I really love that. You know, I can really relate to the idea of feeling like you got to prove yourself as a woman, feeling like you got to put the boots on and really like get out there and flex your muscles and just achieve, achieve, achieve. And um, switching into your feminine power really is about magnetism for me and just yes. drawing to yourself what you need as opposed to constantly going out and conquering. Yes. Uh, that's a very colonial narrative. You know, that's mm -hmm. a very sort of patriarchal narrative to constantly be conquering and, and taking down and like, um, yeah, man, you killed it today. Like the languaging, everything about it mm -hmm. is just so aggressive. Mm -hmm. Step into your feminine power, which is a new practice for me as well. I, and I can feel what you mean you draw to yourself, you know, yes. you, through a mag, through a magnet inside of you, you draw everything you need. Yeah. You attract and, mm. and you are more willing to receive as well. Instead Absolutely. of going out, going out, it's just like, no, it's, it's, it's coming to me. Like you said, it's, it's that magnet. So uh, I think, I think it's wonderful that people want to, or women want to get back to that, that place of uh, attraction like attracting those things that they want, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. So I have one final question for you. With what you do, what is it that you want to leave behind in the world?
you know, I made a promise and um, a long time ago. It's uh, I was on Thormanby Island when I was about 18, 19 with a group of friends and we had done mushrooms and we were running around on the phosphorescence <laughs> and it was a psychedelic, beautiful um, experience at a time in my life where I was really lost and really didn't know where I was headed. And an image came through the clouds to me. To me, it looked like an indigenous elder man, but he, you know, he could have been from any culture or from any uh, background. He was definitely an elder. And in my culture, you always respect your elders. And I, he just, I said to him, it's so beautiful here. This planet is just so amazing. And he's like, but this is under threat and it needs protection and we need you. Do we have your word? And I know it sounds like, okay, Gil, you're running around, you know, completely tripping balls on mushrooms <laughs> and just being a typical Vancouver teenager. I know a lot of Vancouver teenagers have this experience. This doesn't mean anything, but I'm a person of my word. And I gave him a promise. And from that moment, things started opening up in my career, in the environmental path, the filmmaking path. And I kind of got to live out that promise. So I think the only thing I could say is that like, be a person of your word, mm. you know? And I just like, when I'm ready to pass, when it's my time, I can say like, I, I kept my promise. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's an honoring of yourself. Yeah. You know, when an elder asks something of you, like you can't take that lightly. No, you can't. Well, I know that you are making a huge impact through everything that you, you do and everything that you are. So thank you so much for your time. Yes, and, and thank uh, you for tapping into your gift and creating this platform oh, and thank you. connecting through your voice and your throat chakra. I am so excited to see how this blossoms for you. Thank you so much. I enjoy these conversations. I enjoy learning more about people that I already know. And I think that's, I. it's such an honor and it's it's a gift that I'm able to do it. So I can't wait to have you again on the yeah. craft sometime. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And Vancouver, take care of each other. Stay safe. Take yeah. care of your Asian sisters. Take care of your women, you know, people of color. Just really let's take care of each other. Yes. Let's take care of each other. Yeah. Have a wonderful night. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed that last conversation, be sure to check out more episodes of The Craft on Spotify and guest photo galleries on the website at wearethecraft.com. Thanks again for listening.